Welcome to Get Amplified from the Amplified Group, the podcast for tech industry leaders and aspiring leaders who want to help their companies execute faster. As always, we're virtual. I'm at home in Bucks. It's watching the apples start to appear on my trees, which is lovely. Vicky's over in deeper stocks, Oxfordshire. So, Vicky, who have we got on the podcast today? Thanks, Sam. So today we've got Graham Crouch, who is VP of Partner Services at Veeam. And I have known Graham an awful long time. So counting back, Graham, I remember presenting for you at the Royal Armoury in Leeds in 1998. That was, oh, wow. That was when I was at Icon. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. So... So we've known each other a long time. And we also, um, I'm going to say it from my perspective, you can say it from your perspective, but we had the pleasure of working together at VMware when we were in the in the same team in the partner organisation. Graham just exudes teamwork and collaboration and is, in my opinion, if you want to understand, he saw the, the route to the cloud way before anybody that I was, was talking to I think what what would be a great start is if you could just give us your potted career history because you've had so much experience over so many different types of organisation. You mean I'm old? Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll try and do it quickly then. So uh, went to university, got a degree in chemical engineering and business studies and uh, never used the chemical engineering Um Went into work in the defence industry and project control. Uh, and within about six months, I ended up looking after their computer systems, which were mainly mainframe-based. I implemented their first local area network, was involved in launching and running the first PCs that they put into the organisation. This was Marconi uh, Space and Defence Systems. And then moved into sales. So I, I spent another probably four or five years as a systems analyst and programmer and then moved into sales because I had a lot of salespeople coming to talk to me that really didn't understand what they were doing. And I thought, this, this has got to be a, a good move. So I worked for a number of vendors, small vendors, a couple of resellers, got involved with one reseller in the mid-90s that we eventually sold to a large American organization. And that allowed us to then fund the service provider uh, that we set up and ran where I was involved with for six and a half years. And from there, moved to VMware to set up and run their service provider program. And then in the last three years, well, three and a half years now, uh, doing something similar with Veeam. So been service provider and, and recurring revenue base since the mid-90s. That was a very succinct and modest story of a career history of, of the things that you've achieved. But what I wanted to say in my intro was use the SaaS model. You just you saw that coming and I would describe you as a pioneer of this space. A visionary, no less. Yes. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if I go back that far. One of the other things you mentioned earlier is about teamwork. And yeah. You know, it's through the reseller and the service provider, et cetera. There was a team of us. There was three or four of us. You know, there was four founders, all with different skill sets, some more visionary than others, others good at execution, others good at selling, et cetera. Yeah. And it was having that teamwork combined with, you know, some sort of visionary status that, that helps you progress and do things quicker. 
because it's great having ideas, but if you can't execute yeah. them, it's pointless. Absolutely right. You need you need the balance of the yeah of, of the, the thinkers and the doers. Absolutely, you know, and, and yeah. you, you, we were a small organisation. Don't get me wrong, Vicky, but when you look at larger organisation, exactly the same principles apply at the board level, at every level of a team, you've got to have a good balance of people and recognising and getting that balance right is essential. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, I, I've worked in organisations that were visionary, is how yeah. I would put it. But you're right. So do you, do you consider yourself to be the, the executor then or, 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 the, or the visionary rather than the visionary guy? Um, or are you a blend? A little bit of both. A little bit yeah. of both. So, and I, do you know, I think it's changed a little bit over the years. If, if somebody gives me a good idea, I can go and sell it and I can work out. Yeah. I can work out how people want to buy it um, because it's, you know, part of selling is helping people buy in the easiest possible way. But yeah, it's, you know, with the experience, you start to understand the market better and you, be, you yeah. become more of a visionary. Um, Makes sense. Proper execution okay on that i understand how it works i wouldn't say it's my forte but i've been being why i'm no longer a programmer because you you know you have that yeah you know complete a finisher piece is probably not yeah 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 with you on that i think yeah so when did you first realize what what convinced you that there was this big shift to as a service and eventually cloud so it's a it's a, I'll say it's a strange answer because it was bef- even before the ASP wave. wave. Oh, yeah. So I, yeah. when I first started at SoftCat, which was in 1998, people were telling us that application service providers were going to kill us. Yeah. And that was the next big thing. Yeah. It was really interesting. It was a really interesting period because you didn't have the hyperscalers there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Microsoft was intent on driving partners to deliver their software as a services and we had some very early conversations with them about hybrid delivery of of, of office you know yeah. how do you how do you run word and excel but you only download the basic functionality to the workstation and if somebody wants spell checker or mail merge they go and buy it on a per you know per instance basis on a monthly basis yeah yeah we we had a reseller and what we focused on more at the reseller was the services that we could sell on top of the tin. So as a reseller, you know, in those days, you were three come authorized, and, you know, taking people back, your network authorized. You know, we, we were Citrix's largest reseller, which is how it came to be, Vicky. But it was all about picking technologies that required a service wrap as well. Yeah. And what we used to do as well, one of our main objectives was to work with a few companies and we'd put framework contracts in place for people. So we would go and sell, say, three, 400 mandates a year to an organization. And then we'd do whatever IT projects they needed us to do. That could have been an exchange rollout. It could have been implementing ISDN when you needed to do that. And it was yeah. trying to pick those technologies that people didn't have the knowledge of so you could get services revenue and repeatable services revenue. And we sort of merged that thinking into the service provider. And for us, that was a natural transition because we'd go on premise and we'd implement something. 
an exchange rollout. I remember this vividly. We implemented an exchange rollout. Six months later, they ring us up and say, it's fallen over. It's rubbish what you did. And our, you know, our question was, okay, what have you changed? Nothing. Nothing has changed. No, something <laughs> must have changed. And when we found out what they'd done, it employed, they deployed Unicenter on the same servers that we got Exchange running on. Yeah. So we decided the best way to work with this was to say, okay, we're going to be a service provider. We're going to run that in our data center and deliver it remotely. But the biggest thing that we did was apply the disciplines around change management and risk management. And that was part of the mainframe backgrounds that a couple of us had from years before. You can't change things without working out what the impact is going to be. Yeah. And, and so that was a sort of natural move into delivering as a service remotely. It wasn't over the internet so much then, but it was still remote delivery. Yes. And it wasn't wasn't cloud then i suppose you know probably in the early days you'd have had a you know three or four physical servers for that exchange deployment that you were then delivering back to them yeah yeah and we what we we tried to do with the technology and this this was actually pre-vmware days we tried to create and build the data center to manage multi-tenancy without there being the full range of multi-tenancy tools there so the way we set up the network with where we set up you know sand storage, et cetera. We tried to make it secure and separated. But, the, you know, and, and it's any time into a new business, you sort of have a, a look at what you're doing after a year, 18 months. And we found we were being really successful with software vendors. And so we focused on that. And the main aim then was to take the software vendors and convert them from their perpetual models on-premise to deliver it as a service based on monthly billing. Yeah, so, yeah. And I, I remember in the early days of that, you know, the, I think probably were Microsoft maybe the, one of the forerunners in that space in terms yeah. of, of creating a licensing program that permitted that version of delivery. But mo- most vendors didn't have that. They were literally starting from zero, weren't they? And they, they were indeed. You know, so the, it was the very early version of Splar. I don't think it was called Splar, yeah. then, which is where I first got involved with Softcat as yeah. well. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, I remember it well. It was incredibly complex to manage at the time, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but we then went to other vendors like Citrix and Sco and several others and said, you need to have this monthly billing model because that's what we're going to market with, with our ISVs. And you need to match that at the back end. Yeah. And, and we actually literally, you know, I, I remember with one of those vendors, I'm not going to say which one, we got through to the EMEA VP and we sat down and said, right, how do we create this model? And we, we put something together and he said, okay, let's do it. Let's see if that works. And that was the sort of start of it. And, and really when I got to VMware, that's exactly what I did. They didn't have a multi-mental model. Uh, and so I looked at their current licensing schemes and discount models and said, right, how do you convert this into something that's rental and, and simple? And that yeah. thing is simple. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, you know, I guess I, I watched some of this from, from, from the other side of it, in a way, as we built our service provider licensing business with your assistance. And then, uh, you know, when we started our own managed services practice and, and really interesting to watch that develop. Um, yeah. Obviously, you know, 
challenges they're in. What what do you see as the big challenges for vendors? Um, you know, you've got a big on-prem perpetual licensing business or whatever. How how do you shift? Oh, it's it, it shifting a mindset and a culture. You know, uh, uh, and again, it's it's easier in a smaller company to drive that change. Yeah, when you've got a large company that is listed on the stock market and all of the analysts in the street want to see net new license sales as a key metric. They're driven to go and do the biggest deals they can wherever they can. So when somebody pops up and says, there's this model you need to get into and it's monthly recurring billing, it's not received well because it doesn't fit with, with their objectives. And the sales experience of many, many of the people in that organization has never been around a monthly recurring model. So they struggle, you know, and, and yeah. you still hear it today, you know, people saying, oh, well, you know, the, the service providers are stealing our license revenue. No, they're not. It's moving from one place to another into a much more sticky, much more recurring stream that is predictable and allows you to plan your business much more effectively. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting change to try and bring in. And because of the nature of it, because it's subscription-based, it grows over time. Yeah. You know, and, and I remember some exec saying to us, yeah, come back when you've reached X level and I'll be interested. And the next year we went back and we'd surpassed that level and he went, okay, now I'm yeah. interested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you do next year? <laughs> it's, you're right. it's, it's, it's almost hard for people to get off the the heroin of doing a big deal and walking away from yes. it i think yeah yeah and and to realize that actually if you stack it and stack it and stack it and stack it eventually it just becomes enormous and self-sustaining yes. and absolutely yeah. yeah very interesting yeah and it was quite you know quite nice to sit in those management meetings and somebody turned around and said so you're going to deliver that number and you go yeah I'm 100% confident I'm going to deliver that and more. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. You only, you only start to lose stuff if, if, if you do something dramatically wrong or if your customer yeah. goes bust. Correct, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really interesting. So talk to us about the makeup of the team that you need to drive this sort of change. You know, this is not just a sales direction of travel. This is not merely a technical conversation no there's finance in there legal this is cross fun yeah legal yeah definitely legal cross this, this is true cross-functional stuff is that right yeah you know i think the most imp- the, the most important piece is you've got to have somebody at the very top who wants this to happen you've got to have somebody at the very top who shares that vision of moving to a you know recurring revenue model yeah um and then you've got to build a team because you talk about building a team. It's, it is about those cross-functional pieces, but the selling motion to service providers and cloud providers is very different. It's very different to selling to an end user. It's very different to working with a reseller. Although some of those boundaries are blurring now. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Resellers, service providers, yeah. MSPs. Yeah. And it, it all kind of gets messed up, doesn't it? Yeah. So you've got to, you've got to build a team that is partnering for the long term you can't just sell something and walk away and come back in three years and say right 
it's renewal time. What else do we need? Yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a consistent engagement to help them build their business and be successful. Well, that's it. It's exactly that. You know, the conversations that you and I had back in the VMware days um, were about how do we build a better business, a bigger business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, you know, it's almost, it's almost a bit of a leap of faith, isn't it? You know, you enable me to build my business. Yeah. If my business grows, by definition, yours grows. Correct. Correct. And, and, and the fact that it's a subscription model, you know, if, if our mm. service providers and cloud providers aren't successful, then we're not. So we have yeah. to have yeah. that. Um, um, my mantra from the very early days, and I think it comes from having been in a service provider, was we either have to help them be more efficient and do what they do today better, therefore they make more margin, or we have to help them deliver new revenue streams and make more margin. Yeah. If you can't do either of those two things, you shouldn't be talking to them. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. Yeah, and, and it becomes much, much more of a partnership. You know, yes. obviously we had long-term partnerships with vendors and, you know, they produced the technology and we sold it and then latterly implemented it and eventually supported yeah. it. But but this, this went beyond that model and actually enabled us to change our conversations with our customers and, yeah. and move into a more strategic relationship where we're in lockstep with them over the longer period. You know, yeah. That alongside the transition to a much more consultative approach where rather than helping them to implement technology, we were helping them to solve problems with technology. Correct. You know, and that's an important recognition for a vendor because as vendors, we're, we're, we're very hung up on getting our name out there. And, you know, but when you're working with a service provider, it's their service that they're selling. Yeah. You know, they're, not, they're not selling Veeam. They're not selling VMware. They're selling a service that includes that yeah. as a key portion of it. So when, you, you know, when you're doing joint marketing, it's helping the marketing team understand, all right, our name will be mentioned, but, but we're, not the main, we're not the main event. The main event is the partner's service. Yeah. You've, you've got to help them do that. So you, know, you talk about how do you work across the team in a vendor to do that. Yeah, you, you, you've got to constantly get the buy-in and education from every single discipline that's in there. And, you know, the way that we've traditionally measured return on investment needs to change. The way, as I say, the way that we do engagements needs to change as well. And, yeah. and that's, it's sometimes a struggle to get that buy-in because, yeah. you know, if people come from the legacy world, they struggle to think in a new way that's it that's it it's it's a it's a change in delivery model it's a change in salesforce comp compensation it's a change in revenue that, recognition it's a change in absolutely blooming everything salesforce compensation is probably the most important bit of all of that isn't it absolutely you know without doubt and, it, and i you know it's it's still not sold it's still not perfect no absolutely yeah, well, and, you know, I've seen it, seen it firsthand to some extent. You know, you start off and, you know, if, you're, if you pay people on, on revenue or on margin or whatever, and they're used to a, one big deal, they, yeah. they don't get the, the lumps of commission that they're used to. But equally, if you pay them in the same way, in two or three years' time, when they've stacked up all of these contracts and recurring revenue, you're paying them an absolute fortune. And they're sitting yeah. back smoking a Cuban, as the phrase goes, and just letting it come in. So you've got to find a balance between the two. It's not, it's not easy. 
No, it's it's not. And you're right. It's and I have a lot of conversations with other vendors as well, particularly mm. those that are, you know. It's it's interesting to think that some vendors are still starting out on this journey. Um, yeah. You know, you, you you think everybody's at the same stage that you are, but you go back and say, okay, well, you, you haven't done this yet. Okay. Well, this you know, commission schemes are key. Now, it, yeah. It's not just commission schemes. Setting the right commission schemes for the service provider people, the ones that are interacting, but also the end user teams. Mm. That are now their new route to market is yeah. service providers. But I have another question for you if you don't mind, because I am constantly being picked up by Chris Collette, who is a regular on our podcasts, about whether we talk about managers or leaders. And we are all about leadership. Now, as a leader, you don't have to be managing people. And you know where I'm coming to here, because you... Through my years of knowing you, are an absolute master of leading a team that do not report into you. You are the master of virtual teams, and you are an absolute leader. And as as you've just described your experience, and I will describe you if you don't mind as a pioneer in okay. in this cloud space and in this service provider model. You've managed to lead incredible virtual teams and deliver immense success with people that don't report into you just talk to us a little bit about how you've done that um magic yeah i can tell you the the reason behind why i've I've never changed that structure and and you know this this is in the last two organizations i've worked in is because you know we talked about the cloud selling motion being a disruptive technology and people within the general sales force, oh, that the service providers, they're different and they're, you know, and that's not the way we sell. Well, if you create that as a total separate entity, as a silo, then you are never going to get the buy-in at the local level. As that revenue increases, you know, we talked about, you know, the stacking and stacking and stacking. All of a sudden, the local country goes, oh, well, that's good. 30% of my revenue is now coming from cloud. I like that team. Now, if that's a separate silo that just reports into one mere organization, you will not get that level of buy-in. So, you know, that's why you need that local buy-in and you need to keep working with the local leaders so that they understand what it contributes to their business. And it's not competitive. <laughs> and then it's not competitive. It's complementary and it yeah. will eventually become the main part of their business. So I think trying to influence that gets that buy-in. I think managing people, whether they report to you directly or not, is is irrelevant if you're giving them, if you're giving them the means to go and do their job and to be successful at doing their job. So if you take away all of the, you know, we talk about simplicity, if you take away all of the ball egg stuff that they need to do, I don't know if you can use that. You can. And let them get on with going and developing those partnerships in a simple way, then then they'll be successful. So that you know, that's that's your sort of purpose is give them the tools to go and do their job and let them get on with it, uh, and let them do it in their way because it's different in every region that you go to. You know, the relationships are different, the way they work is different. So, you know, simple vision, single vision, local execution, local buying. It's 
yeah, it's it's easy, isn't it? You make it sound easy and you are certainly a master of it. And I'm really glad I remembered to ask you that question. Fantastic. So moving on to, to, to V, Vicky says you're doing some pretty innovative things with the SaaS market and the move. Again, you know, Do you want to yeah, give yeah. us a bit of colour on that? Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, I think one of the things that we, we certainly recognised at Veeam is we talked about this blurring of partners um, earlier. And, you know, we've got a massive ecosystem of partners. You know, I hate using the sort of the book, um, <laughs> the standard terms, if you like, but we have. Yeah. We've grown our service providers. We're transacting with them over five and a half thousand service providers every month. Um, and that's gone up from just under 2,000 in the last three years. So that's a huge increase. And um, we've got probably double that in terms of resellers that we work with on a regular basis. And then you've got GSIs, you've got alliances, you know, and you can keep going on. Yeah. And one thing we, we've recognized, Daniel Friedu came back into the organization, you know, a couple of years ago, that partner ecosystem has to work together. So we've started changing what we're doing to reward people for working through whichever delivery method they de- decide to use. And instead of having these siloed partner programs, we're trying to bring all that together into what we're calling Act 2 um, to enable them to work together and to enable them to use whichever route to market they want to. Now, that's, that's extending. I'm not just talking about distribution. You know, we're talking about helping the resellers to work with service providers um, so they become MSPs and could white label yeah. from the service providers. That's a key bit of matching. We're working with the distis about how we build their marketplaces. And we're working with the hyperscalers around how we build our offerings into those marketplaces as well. Because the routes to purchase have grown. And trying to bring that all together. And again, one of the key core values, you know, we're very strong on culture. Um, in, in the, the key core values is keep it simple. And in a world yes. that's changing and the routes to market are changing, keeping that simplicity is absolutely key. But I've, got, I've got a couple of questions. Go for um, it. Just, just for my understanding, when you're talking about people want different routes to market and you're talking about bringing these partners together, are you actually doing something from a programmatic perspective where you're helping resellers to identify service providers to work with are you doing yeah. something that's right okay yeah, just yeah, explain yeah. that a bit more yeah so part of the act two and again this comes back to one of the things we started talking about which is the move to services so we've started recognizing partners not just the fact that they do revenue with us or do marketing activities we, we start recognizing for their skills as well so you know we put competences in place you know which is nothing particularly new competences are around the solutions that we take to market so in the you know for instance in the service provider team we identified six key use cases and now we're allowing the service providers to get a competency against that and we split those into two ways one is they can just gain for example office 365 protection they can get a competency in SaaS protection but they can also get a second one in reseller ready and we okay. they have a defined channel program and focus on working with VARs. And so then we're trying to match the two together. So 
we're just about to launch our first few reseller ready competencies. Um, and, and then we'll be doing a very active program to match up our service providers and our VARs. But also a lot of VARs are moving straight to the hyperscalers. So again, we're looking at how we help them to do that because they're going to build services straight onto AWS or Azure. So how do we help them go and do that in a, and, and gain a competency for doing it? Because that's the new routes to purchase. People are not going to buy all of their licenses now through the traditional distribution model that we've had for years. They're going to use different marketplaces. And that's why you know, all of the major distances are building their own or already have their own marketplaces to give you that frictionless way of transacting through as few single points as you can. Keep it simple. You know, if I'm working with Tech Data or Arrow, can I purchase my AWS subscriptions through there? Can I manage my Microsoft subscriptions through there? Can I purchase my Veeam licenses through there? Making it simple for people to buy. That's a, right. that's a key part of what we're looking at. Yeah, that, that makes more sense to me now. Thank you. I just wanted to go one level more. That, all, that almost sounds like you've given us one of your three key takeaways <laughs> before we get to that bit, but you might as well give us the other two. If you don't mind. So, yeah, I, I mean, the first one, it, it's, I say, it's one of the Veeam core values, which is keep it simple. I've always had that in place. It's like, you know, whatever yeah. you do, you've got to keep it simple. Make it easy for people to buy. It has to be simple because I'm a simple person. If it gets complicated and I can't explain it to somebody else, there's something wrong, you know, somebody outside the industry. Um, passion, you know, whatever you're doing, and you, you've got to build that into your team as well. You look for a passion and, you know, you've got to enjoy doing what you're doing. If you wake up in the morning, you don't enjoy it, do something else, you know. it's So I've always looked for people in the team that have got passion. And when you're building a team, I look for different personalities. Otherwise, you're never going to innovate. So I, I, that's always been a key thing I've looked for. You know, I, I remember, sorry, it, sorry, it, it's a story, but somebody walked into one of my Panamere meetings I was having once. And it was their first time in the meeting. And afterwards, they came to me and said, do they always shout and argue so much? <laughs> well, they weren't shouting and arguing. They all have a different view. And they all deal with different parts of a mirror. So you've got to listen to that view because it's relevant to what they do. And eventually, they'll come to some form of agreement. And that's what you're there for is to help them find the common ground. But you've got to listen to everybody's different points of yeah. view. You're never going to move forward. Don't create things in your own image. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not there to enforce the agreement. You're there to help them to come to one. Correct. Correct. Because they all yeah. have good ideas. And if they're not, you know, and I, I've always said this, try and employ people who are better than you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And don't be scared. That, of that, 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 was, that wasn't difficult in my case. but <laughs> <laughs> Or mine. Keep it simple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, from that, I always thought of myself as a very good generalist. So I needed people who were really, really strong in their particular areas. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in terms of employing people better than me, and and then corralling those ideas into into one bigger idea, I suppose. Yeah, and by doing it that way, you know, and that's probably the third takeaway is getting that buy-in. Yeah. Because if you've got that buy-in, everybody moves in the same direction under a simple vision, and that makes it much easier to achieve. Yeah. 
Yeah. And Vicky, we've talked about simplicity, haven't we? And having a, a key core message you can get behind. Well, simplicity on all different elements. So at the Amplified Group, what we do is we help tech organisations execute faster. And we say we do that and we look at four different elements. And those elements are purpose, which comes into what Graham was talking about with passion. Yeah. It's trust. And when we're talking about trust, it's having what you've just described there, Graham, which is why I wanted you on the podcast, having the the trust in the room that you can have that real robust debate so that everyone feels like they've been heard and then they are much more likely to commit to the decision and the direction of travel. That just simply works. So, So it's purpose, trust. The next one is clarity, because if people aren't clear on what's being expected of them, then they flounder. And we've seen organisations, teams, individuals absolutely paralysed because they don't know what's expected of them. So clarity is the other one. And then the final one is simplicity. And actually we have what we call a speed check and we measure those four different elements. And from that, we can gauge what your speed is against your peers in the industry because we've got a few organisations that have done this now, which is pretty interesting. But the simplicity one... It came from a podcast that we did with Mark Templeton, the former CEO of Citrix, where he said, the simpler you keep things, the faster you can go. And he wasn't just talking about simplicity of purpose. He was talking about how do you actually take something to market? What are all the different touch points, the customers? How easy is it to do business with you? Absolutely. (laughs) All of these different elements. Yeah. Uh, are, are just so critical. So Vicky, it's that time of the podcast where in the absence of hero time, you must lead us into team experience time, please. Oh, thank you. Um, and actually, it's, I'm going to talk about it slightly differently today. So Graham, we have recently trademarked team experience because there's so much stuff out in the market now about partner experience and customer experience and employee experience for us your experience at work comes down to the team that you're working with yeah um and and before i ask you what team experience means to you i just want to share a story from a call that i had this morning and it was with somebody that we worked with as the amplified group in 2018 and they went through our five behaviors work and I'm going up to do a refresh they've got some new people in the team they're growing it's a really great success story actually it's up into our old neck of the woods Graham it's up in up in the northwest I'm still and, here <laughs> yeah of course sorry you're still there I'm still in Wirral <laughs> Is that that way? Anyway, we were just doing the prep for the meeting and she was talking about how great their team experience is. And she said, um, actually, I had uh, an old colleague send me an email yesterday. She said, I was really surprised I got this email because they know how happy I am where I am. And she she read out to me her reply because he was basically offering her a new job. And she basically sent back to him. Um, lovely to hear from you, but it, I'm so happy where I am. This is this is my home and I can't imagine working anywhere else. And I thought that was 
because we're seeing such a challenge at the minute and we've got a a blog coming out about the tsunami of people leaving organizations yeah yeah um and and I'm, I'm talking to companies at the minute where retention is the biggest issue they have. So for her to read this email out and go, there is no, I, I'm, I can't imagine working anywhere else. That to me is, is what great team experience delivers. Yeah. So what, what does it mean to you? Yeah, some of this won't surprise you. I mean, one of the key things is succeeding together as a team, but not only when you succeed together, you know, and you've got to put the the bits in place to help you succeed, celebrating together, you know, and I think making sure everything viewed is as a team, you know, I, we, you know, we, we got a special recognition award in, uh, in Veeam last year for the service provider business, but that was a team award. Yeah. A team award to recognize in the whole team. It's, you know, it's, and I think succeeding together and celebrating together, it is a key metric of that. That's been really difficult over the last couple of years because of, you know, we can't go and meet. Yeah. I've always been very big on celebrating success, not just within the team, but with the partners as well. You know, if we've we've got a partner that's doing particularly well, let's go out and celebrate what we're doing and make a fuss about it. And it is the social side of it, but... It's the party side of it you're talking about. It is, you know, you know. Veeam's not shy about that part of the business. It's, uh, <laughs> no, the, the, the Veeam parties in um, yes. Barcelona were, yes. always, were always legendary. All the customers wanted to go. You know, yes. And, and th- those little things, especially when you're working with partners, the partners really appreciate it. You know, we, yeah. we've done, we've done the, uh, you know, we did this with Softcat a couple of years ago. We had a particularly good year. It's Christmas. We took everybody to the pub. Yeah. You know, they say, oh, you're, you're one of the first vendors that's ever done that with us. And I was shocked because I thought this is this is how it should be, isn't it? Yeah. I think that side of it, building that team experience together, particularly getting your wider team together, making sure, you know, if you are managing teams that are in, you know, every different country in Amir, making sure they regularly communicate together. That's another key element of it because they do share experiences they do understand yeah. everybody's got the same problems and they solve them together. So, you know, that's another key element is a communication part. And not necessarily the formal, here's a newsletter, here's a presentation, but creating those forums for the teams to meet and share. And, and you, you know. do that so naturally that you, it's, you do that as a natural facilitator, I think, don't you? Well, I would say that. Allegedly. Yeah. Maybe he just likes being in the pub. It, it, I know yeah. that one for fact. <laughs> don't we all? Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Thank you, Graham. Well, that was that was fascinating stuff. Yeah, it's it's obviously you know our paths have crossed, and we spent quite a bit of time together in in my soft cat days. But it's yeah. it's interesting to take a step back and hear maybe some of the theory behind it, as well as the the on the ground reality see where it all came from so thank you that was uh, that was fascinating really really interesting stuff just remains for me to say thanks for listening to get amplified from the amplified group as always your comments and your subscriptions are most gratefully received <laughs>